Okay, (laughs) the scripture for today is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. We finished up last week this brief series on Malachi, but I'm going to pick up, as I promised, I'm going to pick up with the themes that we looked at. So if you weren't here for that, I'm going to do, I'll I'll be recapping briefly so you won't feel left out. But uh, the scripture being one story takes us from the Old Testament to the New Testament, though there's a gap of 400 or so years, what I want us to see is that the theme has remained the same. So... When we last left our intrepid Malachi, he was um, giving us the the, uh, harbinger of what was to come. And he says, look, I'm going to send a messenger. Okay, why do they need a messenger? Well, they had been released back into the promised land. Providentially, Persia had released the people of Israel to go back, and they were so disappointed with life and the circumstances that they found themselves in. They were not happy, even though God had miraculously released them. They found that the uh, civil authorities were corrupt. They found that the religious authorities were corrupt. They found that the temple that they rebuilt was not up to standards. And they felt like, where's God? You, You released us, and yet here we are. So what did they do? They completely ignored the covenant. They decided to just kind of look out for number one. And they began to live their lives their way. And their disappointment in God and in the people just deepened. And so God sends a messenger, Malachi. And and Malachi reminds them of who God is. How God feels about them. How he has always been faithful to his promises and his covenant. 
And then he begins to make this promise toward the end of this letter. We looked at that last week, but he says this, Malachi 3.1. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this promise is of a messenger. And then in chapter 4, he refers to him again, and he says, it's Elijah the prophet that's coming, which is, okay, what do we get with that? Elijah's been dead a long time. Well, probably the spirit of Elijah, a prophet like Elijah, is going to be coming. And then that's going to prelude the Lord himself coming. So then we have this gap of time, and we open up back. Now, we, now we're in the New Testament. And we have, if you've got your Bible, you can open to the very first verse of Mark. We're going to get to Luke, what Bob read in just a minute, but we're going to get to Mark here for a second. I usually am just preaching through books of the Bible, but in Advent I often stop for a couple of weeks and I take the theme of Advent because I think in our Christian life we need some rhythm sometimes. And I think to acknowledge that, Lord, we need to have this, the, the kind of theme here is our, our hope, remind where our hope is supposed to be. We live in a world right now that's going to give you a lot of signposts as to where you should put your hope. Should you put your hope in uh, a financial plan or in a political plan or in a social something, uh, where, in a person, in, a, in an individual, somebody that you like or, or somebody that you've read about or whatever? Where do we put our hope? Where, where is it? And I think this season is always a time when I just sort of stop because if we just wait until Christmas for that, I think we've done a disservice. The, the, about the third century, the church in preparation for baptism introduced this idea of Advent. And Advent just means it comes from the derivation of the word, just means an event. And it be, be, began to say a miraculous event or a risky advent. It's the same root we get the word adventure. Advent, adventure, right? comes from the same. This idea of we're, we, we need to anticipate something. Because if we don't anticipate with hope, there's only two, two things that happen, really. Is that you, you're either disappointed, right? Or you put your hope in something that can't really last that long. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. But So here we go in Mark. So we've had this time from the end of Malachi where he said, look, a, a, a messenger is coming who's going to talk about, the, the, he's going to um, presage the coming of the Lord. That he's going he's gonna to say, he's like a herald who says, guy, somebody's coming right after me. Listen to him. And so as we've taken that, now Mark opens, this is, most likely the first gospel that was written. And here is Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God, as it is written in, it says Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Malachi doesn't get his due here because... In the, the first verse is Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Likely because Mark talks more about Isaiah. Isaiah 40 is the second verse quoted. But behold, I'm going to send my messenger. That's how this opens. Let's go back to verse 1 a second. The beginning of the gospel 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, that word gospel means what? Good news, right? Okay, it's news of an event. It's news of an event. N.T. Wright's written very well on this. Talks about when we think sometimes of Christianity, we think of just one more religion among religions. But when this, when this gospel was written, it was like a herald bringing a news event. The word gospel was used by the different emperors. So when a new emperor would take over, and when the old emperor was dead and the new emperor, there would be heralds that would go out and they would say, here's the gospel of Augustus. Life's about to change for you all. There's a new emperor. And good things are going to be happening, assuming you pay your taxes and are good servants. Something is changed. Now, hasn't maybe come to your village yet, but the herald, the, the, the announcer would come and tell you, now, assuming you were on board with this change, that would be good news to you. You're like, oh, okay. Rome's coming, or the new person's coming. And then, eventually, if it truly was good news, it typically wasn't for well, a lot of people, but it would eventually, his reign would come to be fully seen. That's the imagery that Mark is using here. It's news, and it's exactly the same today. When we proclaim the gospel, sometimes we think we're proclaiming sort of a a system, a a dogma system of, you know, God is like this and he'll forgive your sins and this is a better religion than that religion. But that wouldn't have been the way that the writers of the gospels or Paul would have seen it. He said, I got news. It's like reading the newspaper. I have news. I saw a guy who was dead alive. That's news, right? And life has completely changed because of that. Not just for me, but for everybody. Everyone in the world, life is completely different because of that. And so that was the gospel. That was the, the news that they were sharing. And for us, as we, as we look at this, this has to be what we, we sometimes forget. This is an event. Our, our, our faith is based on the truth, or if it's not true, it's Paul says we're most to be pitied that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. After three days dead, he's alive. And he's still alive. Where is Christ now? Risen with the right on the right hand of God the Father, waiting to bodily, physically come again. That's our faith. And sometimes we I think we uh, buy into a sense of, well, we just have a better moral system. And that's not what this is based on. It is a very good moral system, but that's not what our faith is based upon. So, as we look at that, we, I want us to see that the, the disappointment that the people when Malachi was written are facing were probably very similar to the disappointment that many felt in the first century. I want you to turn, before we get to what Bob read with the story of Mary, I want you to look at the end of the story of Luke. If you've got your Bible, open to Luke chapter 24. And this is after the events of the resurrection. This is the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, one of the great, great stories of the Bible. Two unnamed servants of the Lord, probably because they'd like you to insert your name, maybe the reason they didn't put 
the names of the disciples there. But it says they were going after the um, resurrection, the very, the very day, this is uh, 2413, the very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. It says 60 stadia. That's the way they did measurement. It's kind of interesting. I was reading something that Bethlehem is not that far distant, 60 stadia. It's about 50 stadia. Sort of interesting to me. It would give that specific uh, where Emmaus. We don't know exactly where Emmaus is. We just know it was that distance away from Jerusalem. Sort of interesting to me. There was about that amount of time that Bethlehem to Jerusalem and then Jerusalem to Emmaus. But while we were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. So one is named Cleopas in verse 18, and the, the um, Jesus who's hidden from them says, what's the conversation you're holding with each other? Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And he said, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But listen to this, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's disappointment right there. We, we hoped Jesus would come through. To do what? Redeem Israel. That... But here they are. They're still under Roman rule, and Jesus is dead in their worldview. That's the way they saw it. They'd heard rumors from some women who they didn't think they could be trusted. Maybe something strange was happening, but uh, he's dead, and Rome's still in charge, and we're disappointed. All of us from time to time are going to grow disappointed with the circumstances of our life. Christian or not, I've never met anybody who doesn't at times just get really disappointed. Psychologists say that the formula for uh, how, how we look at life and our happiness is often reality minus expectations. Okay, think about that. Reality minus expectations equals happiness. Sort of a psychological formula. So, Saying you can't really control your happiness per se, but what you can do is, what's my reality? And then specifically, what were my expectations? Think about these two guys in the situation. They saw their reality as a dead Messiah, Rome still in charge, hopes crushed. Was that what they were expecting? We don't know exactly. What are you expecting? What do you expect from life? Sometimes I've, I used to joke, low expectations are the key to happiness. I used to say that a lot. Now I've changed it to appropriate expectations are the key to happiness. I've seen uh, sometimes when I uh, perform weddings, people like to write their own vows now. And I've had to step in a few times because... <laughs> The vows read something like this. I will never let anything bad happen to you. I will be with you, protect you from harm. I will never disappoint you or let you down. I will love you for... The married people are laughing, right? Because, But I've had to sometimes temper and say, you know, 
I realize your heart is good, your desire is there, but remember that reality minus expectations equals happiness. I can tell you what the reality of being a human is. So let's get our expectations right. This is why in the marriage ceremony, we first look to Jesus and we say, Lord, this is about my covenant with you before I make a covenant with somebody else. Because in this equation of three people, the groom, the bride, and Jesus, there's only one who's not going to let anybody down. And so, as we begin sort of this preparation, I do want us to take the season of Advent in preparation, and my call is for us to enlarge our hope and place it in the right person. Hope is only going to birth in us if we put it in someone who's ultimately trustworthy. Now, let's look at Mary. Beginning in Luke 2, that sort of Luke 1, but we're gonna, what we'll conclude with as we read on Christmas the, the famous story We have here Mary and the visitation from the angel. Let me ask you a question. What was, was Mary disappointed in the news? I don't know. Doesn't say. Shocking, obviously, right? Here she is, pregnant, unwed in a culture where that would have been considered shameful. Her husband could have rightly divorced her. Her expectation Here's, we don't know that she has anything except just this visitation from an angel. And, but I have to believe that she has to make a choice and a decision whether she's going to let disappointment lead to despair and hopelessness or whether she's going to say, God, I put my hope in, in you, in this word that you've sent through an angel. You're going to have the opportunity to do that. Because there's going to be situations in your life where, just like the people of Malachi, just like the people of the first century, whether it's to say, Lord, I'm disappointed in these crooked government officials and this shoddy temple, or whether I'm disappointed in that Messiah seems to be dead and there's uh, you know, no hope of Rome taking its uh, control over us back, or whatever, I... I could take you me. I could tell you all kinds of things that I personally have the opportunity to be disappointed. And if my hope is rooted in the thing where the disappointment is, then I could say, Lord, I, I'm going to march down the road to despair. And despair is the road to no hope. And I think when we look around in our world and our society, both disappointment and then despair, which is sort of a, the worst part of it, are growing and increasing. People look around and they think, I don't see hope in this world. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, ultimately there is no hope in this world if that's where it's rooted. One of the things the, besides disappointment is becomes this disillusionment where you say, Lord, I, I, I thought that if this person got elected, things would get better forever. And then we find another person gets elected. Lord, I thought if I just had this much money in the bank, I wouldn't worry about the future. And then that 
thing comes around and all of a sudden something comes and your money's draining out the other side that you never thought. Lord, I thought if this person loved me, that would be it. And, and that relationship, I'd never be lonely again. And that person loves you to the best of their ability and you still find yourself lonely and your needs aren't being met. And you can either go down the disappointment, disillusionment with that hope and lead to despair or we take Mary's path. What did she do? When faced with this news, which initially I can't believe was, was incredibly welcome, She has the decision to make, and she says this. We know these words, but we should (laughs) just store them in our hearts as well. Here the angel says in verse 36, Your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, Behold, I'm your servant, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See what Mary's doing? She's rooting her hope in God's word, the impossibility of it. I mean, this it's not like she had a lot of people to look to how, you know, virgin pregnancies happened. It wasn't a lot of like, oh, okay, I'll look up I'll look up that on the internet and see, you know, okay, what do I what what, what do I expect when you're expecting? What do I expect when I'm expecting without expecting? She says, okay, I have a choice here. I can either despair. I can either be disillusioned with my expectations of life. Or I turn and say, God, I trust you. I'm your servant. May it be to me according to your word. I want to close by just reading this, which is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It's from Romans chapter 4. And it's maybe the, one of the very first times when this kind of situation, because this, the Bible goes through character after character, person after person who has to come to this decision. And you will need to come to this decision. When God leads you in a way that is not just uncomfortable, but is down a road you would not have chosen for yourself, when someone you love dearly has, has gone off the rails and you think, how do I say, behold, I'm your servant? Uh, Lord, be it done to me according to your word. When an expectation of, of a project or uh, something and then it falls through, well, what do you do? Well, here's what Abraham did. I'm going to read, this is Romans 4, verses 17 through 21. This is Paul recounting what happened to Abraham, who we know was childless and yet had received the promise to be the father of many nations. It is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit did with Mary. Called into existence a life that didn't exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope. 
You may think, I don't, I don't have any hope. Well, that's when you need hope the most, when, when hope's dead. In hope, he believed against hope. He should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced God was able to do what he promised. Do you believe God's able to do what he's promised? That was Mary's choice instant. Do you think God can do what he's promised? And she said, I'm your servant. Lord, you do it. Nothing I can do about this. I'm your servant. Would you do it in me? Abraham said, I don't, I don't know. I can't do anything about this. Would you do this in me? Disappointment, disillusionment, despair, or when we're disappointed, we put our hope in someone trustworthy who then leads us to faith and says, Lord, I believe I'm going to stand here in faith till I see what you're about. I can't wait to see how you're going to get this baby out, Lord. I just can't even wait. And that hope leads to faith. And we know at the end of faith, we see Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that you want to take this season and bring us hope, Lord. I don't know what disappointments we have faced or will face, Lord, but this life is full of things that we would have done differently. And so, Lord, as we look to this Advent season, as we look to this Christmas season, I pray we would know that in this in-between time, as we wait in between your two comings, that we wouldn't settle for anything less than seeing Jesus at the end of our faith, that we would place our hope in the one who is trustworthy when we're disappointed and when things aren't happening on our timetable. Lord, behold the servant of the Lord, be it done to me according to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, please, as we close in worship.